Hello everybody, thanks for joining us. Hey, how you doing? Welcome back to Bears on Film. Tova here, Billy's with me. <laughs> yes, that's right, I am. We're doing this episode instead of... Our original plan was uh, to do Phantom Thread this week. So you were going to get dragged to a period piece, which was going to be fun. Yeah. Until I said, oh, actually, I'm going away for the week to have fun with other people. Other friends. Yeah. Hurtful. I didn't, I didn't want to tell you. <laughs> don't ask questions that you don't want to answer, Billy. That's right. So we're not getting to Phantom Thread this I'll week. I'll get to it at some point. Cause yeah. I'm, Paul, I mean, it's Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, I mean, plus, I've, uh, I've told myself that I'm going to see every um, Oscar nominee this year. So I will get to it before March. Um, but in, in the meantime, what are we talking about this week? So another one of our throwback episodes for a film that one of us loves and the other one hasn't seen. We are doing 1992's A Few Good Men, written by Aaron Sorkin, directed by Rob Reiner. That's right. And in case you... I'm, I'm sure that you heard a couple of episodes ago, I'm the one who hasn't seen it. So I don't think that this is that bad of a film crime. Certainly this isn't on the same level as Casablanca and Die Hard. Certainly not. Um, but, you know, it is one of those films that's referenced quite often. Everybody knows, you can't handle the truth, you know, and it was great to actually see that moment. Um, Apparently it's in the top ten most played movies on cable television in the States. Really? Apparently. It's very American, so I could see that. Yeah. You know, probably good Fourth of July movie or something. Yeah, nothing says... Holiday, like, <laughs> trial. <laughs> I don't know, I'm not very culturally aware. <laughs> so, courtroom drama is how you would classify Definitely. A Few Good Men. Definitely. Tell us the plot, Toph. It's based, well, it's inspired by, by true events. Aaron Sorkin's sister. I read that, um, yeah. Is or was a lawyer. And a code red, there was an actual code red. Didn't even change the name of what that is, this disciplinary action which leads to the yeah. death of a marine and the trial that we then follow yeah so his sister was a lawyer who was actually she was a naval lawyer for three years who was stationed on guantanamo when something like this actually happened from what i've uh, read he didn't really change that much at all you know there have even been i think i read that there were up to four different lawyers who came forward claiming that tom cruise's character was based Th- on their daniel caffey yeah one of them even I'd actually claim, yeah, i'd claim that tom cruise is playing me as well yeah well one of them actually even used it on his website and reckons he got a lot of business out of it www.realdanielcaffey so. <laughs> yeah. and um you know and jack nicholson has spoken as well about uh meeting you know at least one of the men that jessup was based on part of his performance was based on one of them as well so yeah right um which i think goes back to what we were saying last week in molly's game about aaron sork yeah, I think yeah. he definitely prefers to work from truth a few good men started life as a play mm-hmm. um, yeah. written written by aaron sorkin and then the option for the screenplay got picked up before the play had even started uh he got pl- he got paid a tidy sum of money to do yeah this is heard of to me i read that it was well into six figures which um for a writer who has never written for screen before and only, from what I could tell, only really had one um, Broadway show before this, my mind was blown by this. Do you know the story of how that got picked up? Do you know who heard no. about his play? No, I don't know. Just going back to, um, we were talking about Jessup just earlier, who Jack Nicholson plays. He was played on stage by, what's the guy? He was He was the bad guy in Avatar and he was the blind guy in some horror film that I didn't see because it's a horror film. Um, Stephen Lang Right Stephen Lang played Jessup on stage Which I can see working so well I also read that uh, Josh Molina 
who um, we all know Sorkin is obsessed with. Maybe there's a little bear thing going on there. Uh, he was one of the defendants. Yeah, right. I can yeah. see that working. I think he was the slow-minded the one. Sl- I was going to say, there's no way he was Dawson. <laughs> no. He was definitely Downey. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that seems to be in Josh Molina's wheelhouse, <laughs> just quietly. He probably just, just wandered onto the stage. Yeah. <laughs> I like, like I, I, I listen to West Wing Weekly every yeah. week. I love Josh Molina on that podcast. And even he's pretty open about the fact that, thank God I'm mates <laughs> with Aaron Sorkin. <laughs> going, into, going into the rest of the cast, which I really, really like. Oh, look, the cast is tremendous cast in, in this film. movie. I mean, the thing about this movie is it reminds you of how good Tom Cruise at one stage was. He's I completely agree with you. fantastic in this movie. Like, Jack Nicholson is... Latter-day Tom Cruise, which, you know, Tom Cruise running away from things. Yeah. I can, I could, you know, I don't care. About. Yeah, I don't know where this whole thing of him being an action movie star came from. Because if you look back at his earlier work, like this or Jerry Maguire, that well, to me is where Tom Cruise really So I wrote him. down here a list of directors who have worked with Cruz over the journey. Okay. We've got Martin Scorsese, Stanley Kubrick, Steven Spielberg, Rob Reiner, Ridley Scott, Oliver Stone, Sidney Pollack, Cameron Crowe, Paul Thomas Anderson, Michael Mann, and Francis Ford Coppola. Jeez, that's a, now, that's a tidy list. Now, no one who's crap at their job gets to work gets with to work. People. Like, some of them, okay, the studio might have said, you need someone good-looking in this movie. Yeah. But... No one gets to work with all of those people if they don't have some game. Yeah. And... I think it sucks that we don't actually see that from Tom Cruise anymore. Absolutely. I mean, did you get to American Made this year? No, I wasn't interested. Um, it was actually not bad. As far as Cruise went, I felt it was a return. I mean, he's way too old. He's playing like a, you know, early 30s, late 20s, you know. Like his, like his character in The Mummy described as yeah. a young man. It was pretty ridiculous. But as far as his presence on, on screen, he's great. Yeah, watching this, it was good to actually be reminded of that. Yeah, there's a, there is an interesting little kind of thing with his... This comes a few years after Top Gun, of course. Yeah. And in both films, he has a dead father who kind of casts a bit of a shadow over his career. Okay, I'm going to I'm gonna have to stop you there and tell you to give me a spoiler alert because next shameful secret... No I've way. Never, I've never seen Top Gun. No way! Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're doing Top Gun. Good grief. All right, so this is this won't spoil anything really. Okay, but yeah. in, in in Top Gun, his character in you know in trying to live up to that goes for too much sometimes. Whereas yeah. in this, Daniel Caffey is kind of afraid to go to too much because yeah, the chances of living up to his dad are slim to none. And and we do go back to those daddy issues that Sorkin loves. Sorkin loves daddy issues. We can yeah. only assume that Sorkin himself just loves listening to My Chemical Romance. And <laughs> <laughs> um. But the rest of the cast, so you mentioned Jack Nicholson earlier. I mean, this is... Tremendous. It might be my favourite Nicholson. I was actually going to say that this is my favourite oh, Nicholson performance. peak Nicholson. Um, yeah, he is outstanding in this film. And I was reading too that he he actually... that During that uh, courtroom scene where he gives that big you know speech, you know, you can't handle the truth, he gave that performance every single take. Apparently he did it about 50 times in a row, even when they were focused on Cruise or something. Yeah. And someone said something to him like, you know, don't you want to hold this for when we're actually on you? Like, don't you want to keep that energy? And he was like, I just really like acting. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> like this is my job. This yeah. is what I'm here to do. Like, that's Spoiler that's alert, awesome. I'm kind of good at it. <laughs> oh, he's very, very good at it. And it's so, funny because, I mean, Jessup casts such a figure over this film. He's only in four scenes. Yeah, he was was only filming for five days for this movie. Now, one of those scenes, the courtroom scene with him is, I think, about 15 minutes long. It's a a serious chunk of of film. But up until that point, which is about an hour 45 in, 
his screen time is actually really low. Yeah. And one of the things I really like about Jessup is that he's, while he's an absolute flog, he's not evil. Well, as, as many of the great villains, he truly believes he is doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah there's that line that, that villains are the hero of their own story. Oh, yeah, and that's absolutely true. You know, he his whole thing is that, you know, you might not like the way I do things, but you need me because without me, our country falls apart. You know, like, he, he truly believes that he has a greater purpose and he he doesn't think he's done anything wrong in this case. Yeah. There's also no getting around the fact that Jessup is a flog. I was going to mention this a bit later on, but since we're there, this is something I only noticed for the first time watching it yesterday for this episode. Yeah. There's a lot of the framing on Jessup during that... That interaction that back and in forth Cuba. With, yeah, yep. with Tom Cruise in Cuba. The framing stays on this close shot of Jessup, mm. but it's when he flicks the switch to that you've got to ask me nicely that the camera has shifted. And while we're on the same framing on Jessup, the background's changed. And it's not even that noticeable, but it's this cool little visual thing that Rob Ryan has done just to, as he's flicked the switch from a kind of unpleasant person to being kind of genuinely villainous, mm. there's just this cool little visual change up as well, just to inform, in the, even if you're not aware of it, just in the back of your mind somewhere, you're like, oh, he's... There's yeah. been a shift here. Oh, I mean, Rob Reiner is a tremendous director. You know, like you look at his history. I mean, even before this, he'd done Spinal Tap, um, Princess Bride. He's a master. And I, this film well and truly shows the difference between, you know, when you look at this compared to last week, Molly's Game, which is kind of why you suggest we do this week, just so that we can kind of compare. Yeah. This shows you in the hands of a competent director. Because it's how not flashy. It could be. It's not a flashy film. No, but, but it's just so, it's so It's just got well such done. good command of the script. So our other lead, while we're going through them, Demi Moore, who had to audition for the role. She wanted it, and they were like... Yeah, I saw well, that there were some other pretty big names up for that role were. as well. Um, look, I would like to talk about Demi Moore for a sec if we can. Do it. The dialogue's great. The dialogue's wonderful, which is what Sorkin does well. The writing, I think, is not. My biggest issue is her character, because I think that... Sorkin truly believes he is a feminist and I think in some ways that's the most sexist thing about him (laughs) because he writes this character in such a way that you're introduced to her almost as this kind of badass you're introduced to this character in that kind of way you know I don't get that at all from Galloway because she's immediately unsure of herself as she's going to that meeting she's doing doing this spiel over and over again and she's terrible at it Yes, but this is this is my problem with that character is that, you know, the film only takes place over three weeks, I think, and, and it's less than a week in that she's like, you're the best. But it's not it's not just about him being great, it's about her being not great. And I personally didn't like that. I just didn't like that whole kind of melting into a puddle over Tom Cruise thing. I read that someone actually asked Sorkin at the time, if her and Tom Cruise don't sleep together, why is she a woman? And he responded with, well women have other purposes just to, than just to sleep, sleep with, with Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. And that's a nice sentiment. But the problem is that that doesn't come across in the writing of this film. Because what is her purpose as a woman other than to be there and think Tom Cruise is amazing? Uh, elsewhere in the cast, Kiefer Sutherland is so good. He's great. I mean, you could talk about the cast of this movie forever because the cast is huge for a start. It's lots of big names and they're all... Excellent. Yeah, like guys that, like, I mean, JT Walsh as Markinson, who's mm-hmm. just a fantastic actor and is fantastic in this. 
Christopher Guest in this film, yeah. I love. Of course, he's coming off Spinal Tap and Princess Bride, like two of my absolute favourite films of the 80s. Yeah. He's only in one scene, but he's fantastic. Kevin Bacon. Yeah, Kevin Bacon's Kevin great. Bacon's great. And this is, I mean, this is something that Sorkin does a lot in having characters. He doesn't tend to do black and white characters. No, yeah. And Bacon, yeah. who is, he's opposing Tom Cruise in the courtroom. Yeah. But I love the relationship between those two. They've got a great dynamic. Yeah. And Kevin Bacon is so, spoiler alert, he's so happy to lose the case. One of the things that, this comes up quite a lot in, in the West Wing, certainly, where Sorkin will throw things in there to give some level of backstory to things but doesn't tell you about it one of the things that that is in this film is in one of the early scenes uh the first scene we have with with jessup his second in command markinson and keith sutherland's character both start to talk at the same time and markinson says to kendrick after kendrick has said i'll handle this situation with the marine markinson says oh like you handled and he's about to go into something else when jessup cuts them off and starts talking again. Yeah. And it's a great little thing because it gives us this idea of the relationship between all three of these people in the space of about four seconds mm. without actually having to tell us much at all. Yeah. It's a great little bit of um, really efficient writing. Yeah, I would actually love to um, see some of Sorkin's earlier work because like with this film, part of the, the deal when this film was sold to Castle Rock, which is Rob Reiner's production company... Sorkin was effectively almost a, a trainee. Like, he he actually worked there with the studio, training under William Goldman, which is why, um, I'm sure you knew this, Go- William Goldman actually did a rewrite yeah. of this script. And Sorkin, even though it's funny, everything I've heard about Sorkin, like working on West Wing and stuff, is that he's very much a solo writer. And he'll have a, a team, but he does the writing, and he's pretty particular about it not being changed. But he liked Goldman's changes so much that he even incorporated them into the play. And him and Goldman then worked together quite a bit. Like, I believe it was Goldman who did the first draft of All the President's Men, and then... The American President? Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. You know, so they... um, Yeah, so I'd be curious to know how much he learnt from William Goldman Mm. and what his writing was like before this. Because Goldman, I mean, he wrote Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, The Princess Bride, like some amazing stuff. So I think to learn under someone like that must be amazing. And I'm sure that Sorkin was good to begin with, otherwise they wouldn't have taken him on. But I'd love to know what it was like before Yeah, because in this, in this film we do have the birth of the Sorkin walk and talk. Yes. Where there were apparently scenes that, as you do in a play, they're just in this space. Yeah. And you know, Rob Reiner's kind of pushing him, saying, look, they don't have to just be sitting here. We can, for instance, they could be on their way to somewhere. Yeah. And so Tom Cruise and Kevin Bacon have a walk and talk. Which did become a very Sorkin thing. Yep. Speaking of the way it's shot, um, the cinematographer is the great Robert Richardson. Well, and as, as you said, the cinematography in this film, it, similar to what you were saying about the Rob Reiner's direction, is very quiet. There's nothing kind of flashy about it, but it's so effective. Yeah. It just, There's know, some real telltale things in there that once I, once I knew it was Rob Richardson and watched it, Again, with that information, and there's a couple of little, you know, for the lighting nerds out there, the strong backlight bounced back as the key, kind of the yeah. really Rob Richardson type things. He also, um, he was really strong on them using anamorphic lenses because right. he wanted to be able to do these big focus shifts in the yep. courtroom. Right. Because the opening scene of this film, as soon as it started, with that opening scene of them sneaking into um, Santiago's room, bandaging him up and stuff, as soon as it started, I was like, 
this is the difference between a well-directed film and Molly's Game. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, the cinematography in that scene was really simple, and yet the lighting was so effective, the direction was so effective, that I was instantly engaged. I was in. It was awesome. This film also has uh, my favourite training montage in a film ever. The like, opening scene? No, no, not the opening scene. Like, stuff Rocky. The montage where they're going through, when they're building the case in... Kathy's apartment and oh, we're just right. looking in from the outside I just love the shit yeah. out of that <laughs> um, so the only thing as we said this movie is now 25 years old the only thing that dated this movie for me at all was the score the soundtrack oh really which... I was I was watching it again this time going man I love the score in this oh, movie see it's, it's see Mark Shaman who did the soundtrack is a master and he's scored a lot of films but I think it's a lot of the use of synthesizer and it's very electronic it sounds like the 90s that's fair it just took me back to the and i'm not saying that's a bad thing because the movie was made in 92 because it's made in 92 you know and it's it's fine but it's so funny that even though it's made in 92 i could see this movie being released in cinemas yesterday except for the score that's Mm. the only thing i think that really and that old-timey printing paper with the holes down the side (laughs) (laughs) i was watching kathy rip that out of the machine going how did people live like this animals (laughs) (laughs) geez i want a gavel oh yeah that'd be great. just in general life (laughs) just i mean the judge was great who played the judge i don't know the actor's name he's also very engaging oh he's good isn't he yeah and um the guy who played uh the guy who played dawson was actually um rob reiner's assistant yeah he was a yeah he was working on the film i think as a uh, a location scout on this particular project and they were having a nightmare time casting dawson and Rob, he was in the room, I think. And Rob Reiner was like, we, we need someone like him. Yeah. And then they're like, hang on. And he was great for a guy who hasn't acted before. He's good. Like, and like Dawson doesn't have to do that much. Well, he's playing a very military... He's very straight-faced. Yeah. He almost has to show no emotion. Yeah. But um, he, for, for an untrained actor, yeah. Mm. There's nothing to complain about the yeah. performance of Dawson. Yeah, he was good. And the other guy, Downey, is played really well, actually. Probably not as good as Josh Molina could have played him. <laughs> Unfair to compare anyone to Josh Molina, though. Well, and also talking of acting, Sorkin himself makes an appearance he in this film. He does indeed, going blind on paperwork. Yes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So I, I watched, I, I don't know exactly, so yeah, came film came out in 92. I don't know exactly when I saw it. This film was kind of a staple in my house. My parents, I don't know if either my parents rented it a lot or if it was one of like the three VHSs that they actually owned. Um, but this film was on high rotation. And watching it as a kid, it's interesting to kind of think about because when I first started watching this film, I wouldn't have entirely got it. Yeah. Like, I know there were times where in the courtroom they were saying, yeah, I did what this character said and I would kind of get lost. Yeah. As a kid, I didn't know I'd lost who they were talking about or why it was important that they'd said that to them and not another person. And thinking about it yesterday as I was watching it, I remembered in interviews hearing Sorkin say that he grew up going to the theatre in New York a lot with his parents. And a lot of the time he wouldn't necessarily know what was going on, but he just liked the sound and the rhythm of dialogue. Mm. And upon reflection, I suspect that was a big part of, of why I loved this film so much, even when a lot of it was going over my head, was that I just loved the sound and the rhythm of this movie. So how old were you the first time you saw it and really got it, do you think? Um, well, if I'm 34 now, I guess 
33. <laughs> You're a very slow learner. <laughs> so, so Tom Cruise and Demi Moore are married, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. My recollection is that there was a bunch of times watching this a few times in a row where more things would actually click for me. Yeah, yeah. So you were quite young, though. This yeah, was I was definitely pretty young. introduction to Sorkin. Yeah, like, actually, I must have watched it off TV first because I remember that Jessup never swore when I first saw this film. Oh, really? So it must have been t- taped off the TV initially. God, those were the days, weren't they? I remember having a um, copy of Bulletproof that I had taped off the TV. It started at 8.30, so for the first hour... They cut out all the swears, and then from nine thirty onwards, they didn't bother cutting them because after that time, it's it's free for all. So it, it's really because the first half is like super clean, and the second half. So that was yeah, those were the days of TV. <laughs> <laughs> so when you, because obviously, like me, you're you're a giant film nerd. Was this movie one of the first times you started paying attention to like names behind the scenes? Like when you saw this, well, certainly not initially. I remember. A- that, and of course, I didn't know that who it was written. You know, when you're that young, you're not really paying that much attention to screenwriters. Yeah. So I do recall actually that there came a point where someone in my family realised that a few good men, this staple of my household growing up, was the guy from the West Wing. And yeah. someone one day, yeah, figured out that oh, <laughs> a few good men is by the West Wing guy. And as soon as you know that, like if it you can, sense, if you can yeah. imagine that you didn't know and found that out, you're like that. Yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. Yeah. All right, so let's get down to the rating of this movie then. Given that you've loved it from such a young age, is it hard for you to rate it objectively? It kind of is, and I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we're on the same boat here, where if we're rating a film out of 10, we will tend to go with whatever's higher of how good is the film or how much do I like the film. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think A Few Good Men is a really good film. I agree. But also, my love for the film goes beyond how good it is, if you like. Yeah. Like Star Wars, for instance. Yeah, of course. So, I give this film a 9 out of 10. Okay. I'm leaning towards an 8. My okay. initial thought was a 7, but I'm between a 7 and 8. I really loved the movie. The The dialogue's fantastic. The acting is honestly some of the best acting that you will see in The a fact film. that Kiefer Sutherland managed to get even better than he was in Lost Boys with that mullet. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah, like, literally some of the best acting you'll ever see on a screen. So, like, from that point of view, it's awesome. So, I think I'm probably leaning towards an 8. Okay. Yeah, I had you pegged at probably a, a seven. Yeah, so. so I'm around there. I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, no, I liked it a lot. I, I'll definitely watch it again. This this is a very, very, very good movie. I could actually, like, I could just listen to, like, I'm so I've got a road trip later this week. I could just listen to this film. Like as an audio book? Yeah. Do yep. it. A friend of mine, actually a friend of mine, used, she had, she was obsessed with Top Gun in <laughs> high school. And she had it on a cassette. Yeah. And she would go around with a Walkman listening to Top Gun. I used to do very similar stuff. And I remember even when we got a, uh, like a video camera, you know, like a really old black and white video camera, I would actually bootleg my own movies so that I could watch them portably. So I would, because the, because the video camera had batteries. Yep. So I would point it at the screen, film a movie, so that on road trips or something, I could sit there with the camera and watch it through the lens. You know, That's like, awesome. Because I just loved movies so much. That's awesome. Like, but yeah, so so many of the, that is so cool. <laughs> so many of the lines in this, I'm just so happy to listen to. Like when yeah. the first time we meet Daniel Caffey, Tom Cruise's character, 
I love that scene. And he's having the argument with the guy who's trying to charge his client for drug possession when this idiot yeah, guy bought a dime bag of a, of a <laughs> He says, I'm going to charge him with what? Possession of a condiment? <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. so good. <laughs> oh, I love it. It was very good. All right. Well, I'm glad that I finally watched it. I'm glad you can handle the truth. <laughs> um, now, what are we talking about next week? I give in. I'll tell you what we're talking about next week. Oh no. Insidious, the last key. You're inflicting a horror <laughs> film on me. Now, my favourite thing about us watching this is that you have never seen the first three movies no. and probably never will. So, no. So you're coming in cold to the fourth movie. Though, I'm not series. expecting that that's going to matter. Oh, it's probably Because it's a stupid-ass horror film <laughs> that's going to be stupid. I can't wait. I think it's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. I'm well, looking. get ready for the bears to disagree next week. Oh yeah, we will definitely. Oh, who knows? Oh, maybe you'll love it. I maybe might you'll turn love it. into a horror nut. Maybe this will be this will join the shining <laughs> in the club of horror films I like. Oh man, you know, so far it's only taken Stanley Kubrick to make a horror film to make it good for me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. I can't wait for it. Looking forward to Insidious, the last of whatever. <laughs> Which probably will not be the last of anything. Horror movies franchises just don't end. Oh, they just go on and on. So anyway, look forward to that one. All right. <laughs> well, if you want to get in touch with us, um, you can do that at bearsonfilmmailbag at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram at bearsonfilmpodcast or Twitter at bearsonfilmpod. You can check us out at bearsonfilm.net. Rate us on iTunes, Stitcher. Tell all your friends how fucking amazing we are. Oh, we love that. Aren't we amazing? <laughs> we're so great. If we do say so ourselves. Oh, we're charming. <laughs> all right. Catch us. <laughs>